The mortal realms are vast beyond the kin of the human mind. They are near infinite in their scope, their edges defined only by their lethality. Not even the gods themselves can claim to know every aspect of their grandeur, yet they remain united by the laws of reality. The impossible reaches of the cosmos hold many strange worlds, planetoids, and anomalies. By far the largest are the mortal realms. Most of these, according to the meta-scribes and astro-cartographers of Azir, can be depicted as flat disks fringed with islands, all surrounded by a spherical barrier of lethal magic. They are not alone, for sub-realms and pocket dimensions linger in reality as well as legend and the best understanding of mankind is only part of the picture. It is known that each realm sphere hangs in the etheric void, also known simply as the aether. This is a cosmic space in which solid forms float as crystals in a suspension, each a combination of magical energy and physical matter. Shaped by a dim memory of what had come before, these are landscapes of impossible variety and scope. One of the laws that define the mortal realms is that of an innate coherence, and so they have each become dominated by a certain type of magic that defines their form and accompanying phenomena. Behind the veil of the mortal realms exists the realm of chaos. It is amorphous and unimaginable beyond all notions of order and the attempts of intelligent beings to depict it. Seeking to grow ever larger, it consumes the eight realms wherever the dark gods can gain entrance. Seeking ingress through tainted realm gates and demonic infestations. Every mortal realm has felt the touch of its madness. Every peripheral land has felt the bite of chaos energy thawing at its fringes. It remains to be seen if Sigmar and his fellow gods of order can stop the ruinous powers from devouring reality entirely. The mortal realms, though dangerous and magical, are at least theoretically habitable, and each is of immeasurable value. Most hotly contested of them all is Akshi, the realm of fire. Akshi is a place of raging passions and volatile landscapes. Its people fight, love, and create with a fiery intensity. Even their curses are intense and imaginative. The chaos god Korn is drawn to the bright realm, and over the centuries, his worshippers have soaked its parched wastelands with the blood of its inhabitants. Giron, the realm of life, is mostly green and abundant, but the Jade Kingdoms are no longer paradises. The bountainous cycles of life and the copious flora and fauna have been badly corrupted and infected by Nurgle. 
Now the symbiotic lands, fecund continents, and burgeoning forests are battlegrounds as the Sylvaneth and their allies fight to retain sanctity from the Chaos Hordes. Shyish, the realm of death, is a place of endings and silent decline. It is composed of all the underworlds that the mortal cultures of the realms believe in. However, the great necromancer Nagash has conquered almost all of these underworlds and made them part of his undying empire. They have since suffered greatly under the scourge of chaos. Cayman, the realm of metal, is a place of change and flux, as well as ores and alloys. It was once an alchemist's dream. Technological wonders could be fashioned easily, and mineral wealth was easy to come by. Since Zinch worked his foul agenda upon Cayman, however, it has become a place of madness, where impermanence is the only certainty. Olgu, the realm of shadow, is a place of lies, secrets, lurking menace, and riddles upon the wind. Full of mists, fogs, and mirages, it is extremely difficult to navigate. Its people are slippery and duplicitous, so much so that many areas of the Thirteen Dominions escaped the ravages of chaos entirely. Hish, the realm of light, is a place of enlightenment and excellence. It was once synonymous with limitless intellect and potential, but the people of the Ten Paradises drank too deeply of its gifts. Ultimately, they ended up fighting one another in the bitterest of civil wars, which paved the way for Slaanesh's invasion. It is now a place of tumbled ruins and broken magnificence. Gur, the realm of the beasts, is a place of savagery and primeval splendor. Prehistoric in aspect, it was full of warring tribes that sought supremacy even before chaos pushed its bloodthirsty culture into utter anarchy. Here, everything hunts, even the features of the land itself. Azir, the realm of heavens, is a place of starlight, celestial tempests, and prophecy. It was once a haven of culture and arcane science, but since the coming of chaos, its populace has been turned to the business of war. Now it echoes to the clamor of preparations for Sigmar's eternal crusade. Cosmos Arcane After the destruction of the world that was, the mortal realms slowly formed in the etheric void. Like attracted like, and the various kinds of magic clustered together, crystallizing and combining with nebula, cosmic dust, and the debris of the former world to form new realities. The realm spheres are not fixed points in space. They move in a stately celestial dance. The realm of light and the realm of shadow, for example, are entwined, 
when one rises to ascendancy, the other dwindles. This relationship is often depicted as two celestial bodies orbiting one another. But the truth is that they are magically linked. Hish and Olgu ebb and flow, which causes the equivalent of night and day in the other realms. In Hish, it is always light, ranging from a soft glow to a dazzling brilliance. Whereas in Olgu, it is always dark to some extent. In other realms, Ish is sometimes seen to rise like a true sun, to slowly travel across the sky, or to be more muted for a while. The relative positions of Ish, Olgu, and the other realms give the mortal realms the seasons as well as the days. Hish has one true corporeal moon named Selenar, whose spirit is in league with the elven god Teclis. Hish also has several ethereal moons, of which Laoth is the brightest. It is said that when these wax, they become corporeal, and when they wane, they become insubstantial. Olgu, the realm of shadow, has four black moons that are dark spots in the sky. They have fickle orbits. To navigate by them is to get hopelessly lost. The twin moons, Nocta and Abda, hurl comets at one another in a constant celestial barrage. Aleatrus is the patron of liars. An untruth told beneath its shade is all the more convincing. While the Orb Duplicita is host to a race of shadow demons that have a non-aggression pact with Morathi and her divine son, Malarian. Shyish, the realm of death, has one major moon, Lunagast, a skull-faced orb of dark matter that feeds on secrets and gives power to betrayers and madmen. It is the ghost of Morslib, that unnatural great planetoid of warp stone that once glowered green in the skies of the world before time. Azir, being the realm of heavens, has far too many moons to count. The most important are Daroth, a moon of ill aspect, and Malice, the Sigmarite core of the world that was. Giron, the realm of life, has a large jade mother moon, Galia, and a small yellow hunter moon, Kernaloon, which orbits Galia. These were infected by Nurgle over the course of the Age of Chaos. Legend has it that the moons of Gur, the realm of beasts, known as Coptis and Noral Half-Eaten, keep a safe distance to avoid being devoured by their parent realm, as some believed happened to the now extinct moon Dronsor. Akshi, the realm of fire, burns so brightly the realms closest to it sometimes see it as a second orange sun in the sky. It has three moons. Thaquia the Fireheart and Eva Gain the First Spark 
trail flames as they hurtle around the realm sphere's outer limits. The orb Infernia, a demon-infested and hollow collection of continents, sometimes hangs low in the realm sphere, raining blood. Cayman, the realm of metal, has two moons of living metal, often called the Golem moons. These are Olympus the Alchemist and Intilian the Chameleon, which changes shape and hue as it cycles through the void. They have both been altered by Zinch's flux magic and are prowled by monstrous metallic forms. The Realm Spheres The mortal realms vary in size and shape, though they are held within orbs of energy known as Realm Spheres. Within their heartlands are the domains of Man, Dwarden, Elf, and many other races besides. From the near insignificant Snotling to the monstrous Gargant, none have escaped the ravages of war. In the mortal realms, motes of magical energy can be found in every pebble and leaf. At the core of each realm, where that energy is thin, this etheric power is subtle and calm, and all but invisible to one without the witch sight. Conversely, the greatest concentration of magic is at the realm's edge, known to the scribes of Azir as the perimeter inimical. There, raw magic can be seen shimmering in the air. Even a curse spoken in jest can kill a man, and a careless sweep of the arm can send bolts of energy crackling all around. Realm spheres are not infinite in size, but to a mortal they may as well be. One who set out to journey from the center of the realms towards its outer limit could in theory reach his destination, though such a soul would spend his whole life walking only to be consumed with magic as he neared the realm's edge. At the heart of the realms are the kingdoms of mortals, founded during the age of myth. To a large extent, they obey conventional laws of cause and effect. Towards the perimeter of the realms, the magic that forms them becomes wilder and more intense. Spellcrafting becomes almost all too easy there, but so do the inherent dangers increase. Each realm's edge is inimical to mortal life, but is not always a literal barrier. Some areas are endless deserts, others misty seas. Much of the realm of metal's perimeter, for example, is a sea of bubbling quicksilver that throws up disturbing forms and shapes. Those who approach it may find themselves dissolving like a molten slag, turning into a creaking clockwork golem, or collapsing in a pile of useless coin, each minted with their screaming likeness on both sides. The lands of the eight realms are linked within themselves as well as to another.
by magical portals known as realm gates. The vast majority of these existed already when Sigmar laid the seeds of civilization across the fertile landscapes of the Age of Myth. Of these, a great many have been ravaged by the powers of chaos, so much so that some lead straight into the otherworldly hellscapes known collectively as the Realm of Chaos. Beacons of Hope The God King's free cities are bastions of civilization amidst realms shattered by war and savagery. Each is a gleaming metropolis, home to countless thousands of mortals, constructed around a towering fortress known as a Stormkeep and protected by both formidable fortifications and vast hosts of free guild soldiery. In the wake of the Realmgate Wars, Sigmar's people began the colonization of the mortal realms in earnest. The foundations were laid for cities that would recall the glory days of the Age of Myth. Enormous, thriving metropolises that would provide shelter for humans, elves, and dwarden against the manifold horrors of the chaos-corrupted wilds. Most were constructed next to vital strategic locations. Most commonly, realm gates and deposits of priceless resources such as Realmstone, the latter of which provides an invaluable arcane power source to fuel rapid, aggressive expansion. Such outposts form the vital building blocks of the God King's ever-expanding empire. Bases of power from which are launched grand crusades of reconquest and settlement. League by league, nation by nation, Sigmar's armies push further into lands dominated by the worshippers of the Dark Gods. And when the bloody, brutal work of conquest is done, new forts and border settlements spring into being. With hard work and much fortune, they might eventually become cities themselves. This business is slow and costly. The realms are no place for settlers, no matter how intrepid. An ugly death lies around every corner for those who lack the firepower or strength to defend themselves. Only when adequately safeguarded against threats both physical and ethereal in nature can mortal kind find relative safety. Thus it is that each free city is founded under the watchful protection of a storm keep, one of the great fortresses of the Stormcast Eternals. When a site is chosen for settlement, the champions of Azir are dispatched to clear it for expansion. They will strike from the skies and obliterate greenskin tribes, chaos-worshipping hordes, or whatever threats lurk nearby, sweeping the lands clean with support from the free guilds and their dispossessed allies. Such crusades can last many years or even decades. When the lands are finally stripped of the unclean and the monstrous, the hard work then begins. 
Lord Ordinators, and Lord Castellans identify patterns of power. Ancient ley lines and fonts of magical energy upon which to build the city's central stormkeep. These stormkeeps can take many forms. The Consecralium, stronghold of the Knights Excelsior, is a stark fortress of black iron that looms over the city of Excelsius like a headman's axe. By contrast, the Celestrine Cathedral of Hallowheart is a wondrous monument of devotion constructed by the hallowed knights to inspire their flock. No matter the form they take, all are nigh impregnable, studded with watchtowers, arcane ballistas, and murder ports, ranks of stormcast warriors ready to charge from concealed sally ports and fall upon any foolish enough to lay siege. With a central stormkeep constructed, Throngs of devoted flagellants will march forth from its shadows in ever-expanding circles, lashing themselves violently with barbed whips and flails as they go. Where the blood of the faithful drips and seeps into the earth, the taint of chaos is scoured clean, and the lands made safe or at least as safe as possible. For the waves of Azerite colonists and traumatized refugees that will become the city's populace. Such spiritual defenses are bolstered by the tireless work of the inquisitorial order of Azir and agents from the storm-cast sacrosanct chambers who purify any lingering curses, sources of unholy power, or dangerous areas of rogue magic. The majority of free cities owe their design and construction by the hard work of dispossessed labor clans, for there are few better masons and craftsmen than Grungi's folk. Others, however, such as the Amber City of the Phonicium, are marked by more graceful architecture, for here much of the population is comprised of elven outcasts. In addition, each city has, over the years, developed its own unique aesthetic. Excelsius's buildings are draped with lizard hide and shark skin, while in Hammerhall Gira, many manor houses appear more like vibrant, elaborate gardens. Settlements are commonly arranged in the shape of a twelve-pointed circlet, for that number is highly significant to the God King's followers. The master engineers of the Ironweld arsenal lay down formidable rings of fortified watchtowers, piston-driven cog forts, and upgunned weapon emplacements according to this sacred pattern. Sluices of blessed star water, sanctified chemonic metals, and other potent materials are directed throughout the city, often channeled through the outer walls in order to provide a spiritual ward against formless and demonic foes to whom physical defenses are vulnerable. Linked to one another by the arcane pathways of key realm gates, and defended by well-armed garrisons of free guild regulars and all manner of specialist auxiliaries, 
The free cities of Sigmar pose a threat for those who would see them torn down and destroyed. It is from such formidable centers of power that the dream of Sigmar's restored empire will grow. Dawnbringer Crusades The military expeditions that set out from the cities of Sigmar, known as Dawnbringer Crusades, vary in size and composition. Some number fewer than a hundred individuals, while others are thousands strong. Should they settle a lasting strong point, they will then become both its populace and its militia. To embark upon a Dawnbringer crusade is to accept a sacred duty from Sigmar. At the fore of each crusade are born braziers lit from the holy flame kept at the temple in each parent city's heart, itself an ever-burning fire carried through a realm gate from Azir long ago, as the bards would have it. Those brave souls who take up the march are called Dawnbringers or simply dawners. It is their role to bring their city's light into the long night of evil that typified the age of chaos. Should they succeed, the land they win for themselves is their family's line to claim forever. So potent is this draw to the impoverished citizenry that even members of the reclaimed sometimes venture back out into the wilderness that once preyed upon them. When a crusade sets out from its parent city, it will do so with all the pomp and circumstance the occasion demands. Each Dawnbringer's name is read out before the crusader's bell and entered into the tomes of Alaris, much to their lineage's honor. The chanting of Sigmarite maxims, those being short instructional phrases, only half a dozen words in length, further steals the faith. After all, say the priests, these are the words of the God-King himself, and they have a measure of power to them. So much so, they can inflame the soul to heroism. Though the roll call usually takes several long and dutiful hours, it is easy for a soul to get inspired. Especially when the Dawnbringer Crusade departs the city's gates, with Stormcast Eternals gleaming gold at the fore, and a chain of load-bearing metaliths drawn in a stately manner overhead. Metaliths are a little like hovering islands. They are a naturally occurring phenomenon in each realm much like its orbital bodies and the islands at its edge. With necessity being the mother of invention, the humans, elves, and dwarden of the lands have learnt how to harness these as valuable resources. By using geomantic magic or steam grapples, the islands are drawn into sky docks, fortified and loaded with prefabricated structures and war material. Hauling devices vary from realm to realm. In the Crusades of Gur, giant beasts of burden are usually employed. In Cayman, 
Karadhan airships may be used, and in Shayish, hundreds strong gangs of faithfully willingly undergo the backbreaking labor in Sigmar's cause. Beneath the metaliths, the crusade itself marches in good order, with land trains, cog forts, draught animals, and worker militia pulling yet more supplies. At the fore is a vanguard of elite troops, usually including stormcast eternals from the parent city. They are often bolstered by groups of fire slayers and daughters of Cain, each faction eager to prove themselves the fiercer. The main body of the column is composed of free guild soldiery, marching in time to the beat of regimental drums. Close behind are the artillery trains and marksmen regiments of the Ironweld arsenal, ready to unlimber their guns at the slightest sign of trouble. Then come the devoted of Sigmar, chanting and thrashing their own flesh with whips and chains so that the blood of the faithful might consecrate the harsh lands across which they walk, barefoot and humble in the name of the God-King. The site that the crusade is sent to claim will have been earn-marked weeks or even months in advance by scouting forces. Whether they be elven wanderers, free guild outriders, or the vanguard auxiliary chambers of the Stormcast Eternals. These rangers do not choose these sites according to the presence of traditional strategic assets such as high ground, defensible terrain, or sources of fresh water, but rather realm gates, ancient shrines, or more commonly, nodes of geomantic power. These nexus points, located with the use of thaumaturgical compasses, are often locations where the ley lines of arcane power that lattice the realms are particularly strong or intersect. It is these that will form the arcane heart of what will become known as a Sigmarite strongpoint. Each crusading host takes with it a sacred standard provided by the Order of Heralds. This banner can take many forms, but its design usually echoes that of the crusade's native heraldry. Should the settlement survive, its particular variant may become the sigil of an entirely new city. After the banner is made secure, the nexus point of the strong point is assessed, reinforced, and harnessed by an arcane construction known as a nexus siphon. This then channels the power of the site's ley lines into the guardian idols that are raised to stand vigil over its perimeter. This is more than just a statement of intent from the crusading host. Together, the statues form a spiritual barrier that can hold at bay the demon and the geist. After the nexus siphon and idols are raised, prefabricated structures are then unloaded from the crusade's metaliths and set up around the primary site. When a metalith is in position at the site to be reclaimed by the crusade, it is either hauled downward or divested of its innate power using the anti-magical mineral known as a knoll stone, also used for the safe transportation 
of the purer kinds of realmstone, until it crunches down into the landscape as a ready-made fortification. Some, known as High Scryer Islands, are allowed to float at low altitude to form excellent watchposts that can be winched downward at will. The buildings unloaded from the metaliths are usually erected upon the remnants of elder empires, reinforced or repurposed with found materials and pre-constructed defenses. Meanwhile, its masons and engineers will turn any existing ruins or structures into habitable buildings, whilst constructing even more from the materials they have brought with them. The wounded will be given a chance to rest whilst all others labor to erect the strong point as swiftly as possible. Scavenging and subsistence living gradually becomes arable farming, as the site's aqualith, usually imported from Giron at great cost, cleanses and irrigates the land with purifying water. At this point, the site will likely have come under attack by one or more foes. All areas, save the settlement's heart, are considered expendable. In a protracted engagement, the citizens will fight to the last to protect the nexus that forms the strong point's center. Should the settlement be judged stable and valuable by the order of logisticians, reinforcements and fresh material may be sent to bolster it. By the time the settlement's second generation reaches adulthood, the new city will either be thriving or, a far more likely outcome, have been damned by the pitiless logic of warfare to a slow death. A strong point left to languish and fend for itself will likely become an empty shell or perhaps even be occupied and turned to darker purposes by those who brought it low. The sad truth is that for every one Sigmarite strongpoint that wins its right to survive, a dozen are burnt to the ground. Though there are many prefabricated structures used to swiftly construct a Sigmarite strongpoint. Each settlement will adapt to its environment and use whatever resources are to hand. As a result, such settlements vary wildly in appearance. Those in Gur, often known as stake forts, have a lot more bone and hide and may feature biovax, lean-tos, tanning racks, and angled palisades to drive off monstrous attackers. Settlements in Cayman might have a lot more metal plating, and will use makeshift mines to exploit the realm's mineral wealth. Not for nothing are they known as seam holds, the Shining Settlements in Hish are all powered by some kind of wind or solar engine that works in harmony with the land. Those in Akshi, called Candle Towns or Spark Sites by many parchers, will likely have steam power or use boiling vats powered by geothermic sources. Regardless, they will have shapes and symbols in common, invariably echoing the architecture and iconography of Sigmar's palaces in Azir. The more structures erected in a settlement 
the more appealing a target it becomes to those who would tear it down. Only a truly redoubtable crusade can hope to hold their gains for long enough for reinforcements to reach them. If they do, they will take a great leap forward. A reinforcement crusade will usually include not only entire regiments of troops, but also new war material, new information, and a tremendous boost to morale. Unfortunately, not many survive this long. The Realm of Chaos The Realm of Chaos is the nightmare that lies beyond the borders of the mortal realms. A vile and terrible reality in which reside the primordial dark gods and their infinite multitudes of demonic servants. Everything that dwells here, from the most minor, spiteful imp to the fiercest horned monstrosity, is formed from the dark emotions of mortal kind. Each of the four great dark gods, Horn, Zinch, Nurgle, and Slanesh, lays claim to a vast territory in the realm of chaos, shaped by the same emotions that created their masters. Beyond these grotesque kingdoms stretches an endless expanse of lurid insanity, beholden to neither logic nor reason. Every dream Nightmare and deranged fantasy is made manifest in the realm of chaos. But the lands of the dark gods are most powerful and abiding of all. As the power of one god swells, so too does their domain expand, and their demonic legions grow. When flushed with power, they will not only launch assaults upon the domains of their rivals, but will also seek any opportunity to invade the mortal realms. These periods of ascendancy never last, for the great game of domination fought between the chaos gods is eternal and ever-shifting. The domain of corn is a fiery hellscape of sulfur-spitting volcanoes and jagged canyons of bleached bone that echo constantly that terrible cacophony of combat. Screams, battle roars, and the blaring of innumerable war horns. The blood god himself dwells within the brass citadel an unholy fortress crowned by jagged parapets and leering gargoyles. Nurgle's garden is a vast and hideous expanse draped with rotting vegetation. It is filled with squirming, stinking life and is home to every pox and affliction imaginable. Jutting from its center is Nurgle's decrepit manse, in which he can be found humming good-naturedly to himself as he brews his latest contagions in an immense cauldron. Zinch lays claim to the most bizarre domain of all, woven from strands of fractal sorcery. This is the Crystal Labyrinth, a sanity-shredding maze, infinite and terrible in its dimensions. Its glittering tendrils inveigle their way into the far distant corners of the mortal realms, seeking to spread the change god's maddening influence. The Palace of Slanesh 
was once a place of uninhibited pleasures and luxurious excess. But since the capture of the Dark Prince by the Elven Gods, it has become a mere fraction of its former hedonistic glory. For now, Slaanesh's demonic worshippers defend their master's abode, preventing it from slipping into permanent decrepitude. Yet Slaanesh's brother gods look upon his lands with increasingly covetous eyes. These ravenous deities are not content with each ruling over their own strange sub-dimensions. They want nothing less than to consume all reality and reforge it in their image. And so it is that the great game will be played out in a hundred thousand theaters of conflict, over and over, until there is nothing left but chaos. <laughs>